This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. We have some breaking news. Ukraine's interior minister and 17 others killed in a helicopter crash in Kyiv. Along with him were other senior officials. 29 people were injured, including 15 children. House committee assignments at the center of controversy yesterday. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is following through on his promise to shuffle things up. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announces new legislation. The aim is to permanently protect Floridians against COVID vaccine mandates, mask requirements and more. Former President Donald Trump is planning to hit the campaign trail later this month. Find out more about the upcoming event in South Carolina. And the U.S. is expected to reach its debt limit tomorrow. And everyone is closely watching Congress to see what will happen next. We spoke to an expert. Good to have you on this Wednesday morning. I'm Evelyn Leeds, January 18th, and as you can see, I'm by myself for today, but there's still a lot to get to, so we want to dive into some breaking news right away coming out of Ukraine. A helicopter crashed near Kyiv this morning. At least 18 people are dead. Officials say Ukraine's interior minister, Denis Monastirsky, and three children were among those killed. There was no immediate word on whether the crash was an accident or a result of the, Russia, of the war with Russia. No fighting has been reported in the Kyiv area recently. Ukraine's prosecutor general says all possible versions of the helicopter crash are being considered for now. Nine of those killed were aboard the emergency services helicopter. Police say the minister's deputy and a state secretary were also killed in the crash. Monastirsky was in charge of the Ukrainian police and other emergency services. He is the most senior Ukrainian official to have died since the war with Russia started almost 11 months ago. Officials and media reports say the helicopter crashed near a kindergarten. So at least 29 people were injured, including 15 children. The security services of Ukraine is carrying out an investigation now. And back to the states, House committee assignments are at the center of some controversy this week. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is following through on his promises. He vowed to remove some Democrats and assign some Republicans if the GOP took control of the House. And today's Jeremy Sandberg with a closer look at the shuffling of responsibility. Republican representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Paul Gosar of Arizona were assigned to committees on Tuesday. This after being ousted from their committees by Democrats in 2021 for remarks they made on social media. Greene was placed on the Homeland Security Committee. It has jurisdiction over the border. It could play a role in impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Gosar got a seat on the Committee on Natural Resources where he previously served. Both Green and Gosar have also been assigned to the Oversight and Accountability Committee. It's expected to investigate the Biden administration. Embattled freshman Representative George Santos of New York has been awarded seats on two low-level committees. Santos is at the heart of recent controversy in the House for lying on his resume. He has ignored calls from both sides of the aisle to resign. It's clear to me that he is a complete and total fraud and is not qualified to serve in the United States House of Representatives. 
Congressman Byron Donalds, who sits on the steering committee that names members to their spots, defended Santos's installation. There have been members whose issues have come up in the past. They were allowed to be on their committees, be sat on committees. And then the legal process takes hold and we make adjustments. The selections still have to be approved by the full House GOP conference. McCarthy has confirmed plans to remove representatives Adam Schiff, Ilhan Omar, and Eric Swalwell from their committees. The newly elected House Speaker says since Swalwell can't even get security clearance in the private sector, why should he have government clearance? If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. McCarthy asked reporters why they were questioning him about Santos, but not Swalwell. You're going to tell me there's 200 other Democrats that couldn't fill that slot, but they kept him on it? The only way that they even knew it came forward is when they went to nominate him to the Intel Committee. And then the FBI came and told the leadership then, he's got a problem. Swalwell allegedly had a relationship with a suspected spy from the Chinese Communist Party. He says he didn't share classified information and cut ties with her after being alerted by the FBI. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The head of Homeland Security may soon be in the hot seat. Just days into the start of the new Congress, articles of impeachment against DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas have been drafted by House Republicans. But not all of the GOP is on board. Senior House Republicans are getting ready for hearings that focus on the migrant crisis at the U.S.'s southern border. I've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to do it. Not if some House Republicans have their way. GOP Representative Pat Fallon of Texas introduced articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, alleging he failed to enforce the country's immigration laws, also contending he lied to Congress that the border was secure. I'll never use impeachment for political purposes, but if the person is a derelict in their duties and they, they're harming Americans and Americans are actually dying by the lack of their work, that could rise to that occasion. The House Judiciary Committee is prepared to move ahead with formal proceedings if there's a consensus within the GOP. GOP skeptics include Rep. Don Bacon, who said, quote, I don't think independent swing voters are interested in impeachments. In a statement, a spokesperson for Mayorkas made clear he has no plans to resign. I've got a lot of work to do. I'm proud to do it alongside 250,000 incredibly dedicated and talented individuals in the Department of Homeland Security. And at the border, the number of migrants crossing the Darien Gap has nearly doubled from the year before. That's according to the International Organization for Migration. It's an area that lies between Colombia and Panama. An estimate of close to 250,000 migrants made that treacherous crossing on their way north in 2022. Looking at Panama's data, back in 2021, the number was around 130,000 migrants. And migrants were mostly Haitian then. Now Venezuelans are dominating the flow, accounting for more than 150,000 crossings last year. It was a drastic change, almost immediate. All from countries where situations are critical due to several reasons. Now, the U.S. has recently been trying to make the journey less appealing. The Biden administration said it would manage the surge in Venezuelans crossing the border with a new program. It will now accept up to 24,000 Venezuelan migrants with sponsors at U.S. airports, and they have to pre-register through a government website. Those who cross the border illegally will be sent back to Mexico. 
And moving on to the sentencing of a mass shooter, now federal prosecutors decided not to seek the death penalty for the alleged Texas Walmart shooter. The man is accused of killing nearly two dozen people in 2019. The Justice Department disclosed the decision not to pursue capital punishment on Tuesday. They filed a one-sentence notice with the federal court in El Paso. 24-year-old Patrick Crucius is accused of targeting Mexicans during the massacre that killed 23 people and left dozens wounded. He's charged with federal hate crimes and firearms violations, as well as capital murder in state court. He himself has pleaded not guilty, and despite this sentencing, he still could face the death penalty if convicted in state court. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced a new plan yesterday. It will make protections against coercive biomedical policies permanent. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. Being the free state of Florida did not happen by accident. The legislation will prohibit COVID vaccination passports and any COVID mask requirements. It will also bar all discrimination based on vaccination or booster status, including for schools. You still have universities that are forcing these students to get these booster shots, even though there have been studies showing they're at more risk from negative effects of the shot than they are from COVID itself at that age. And so the governor discussed the past battles Florida had to wage to preserve such freedoms, saying it required standing up to major institutions in the society, the medical establishment, what he called the legacy media and even the president of the United States who together were working to impose a biomedical security state on society. They sought to marginalize people who declined COVID jabs by using things like vaccine passports. They sought to prevent people from being able to earn a living if they declined the jab through the Biden employer mandate. He added that Florida intends to protect the right of medical practitioners to be able to speak the truth. And they sought to silence medical practitioners who followed the evidence and back the science over the narrative. DeSantis was joined by Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo. Is all of these crazy ideas, whether it's, whether it's the lockdowns or the or the mask mandates, or the vaccine mandates, or the you can't have your, your, you can't cook with gas, you can't use fire, whatever it is, right? It's all these crazy ideas. And, and then and Governor DeSantis gets to say, no, that doesn't make sense. Ladipo expressed gratitude that there is a lot of consensus around the new legislation to, quote, codify more common sense in Florida. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of lunacy out there and having a, uh, a, a place of just common sense and sensibility, I, I know that that is refreshing to a lot of people. He compared that to California and Assembly Bill 2098. Governor Gavin Newsom signed that legislation which punishes the dissemination of so-called misinformation related to COVID-19. That means medical practitioners could lose their licenses for opinions not in line with the current medical establishment. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Former President Donald Trump will make his first public campaign appearance of the year in South Carolina. Trump announced last November he's running for president again. He will address supporters on January 28th at the historic State House in Columbia. 
Trump campaign staffers say the event will not be a typical large-scale rally, but a smaller campaign kickoff in the peak primary state. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster and Republican Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina are both expected to attend. And NATO has sent their, the first out of three surveillance planes to Romania to monitor Russian military activity. The airborne warning and control system surveillance plane, also called AWACS, arrived at an airbase outside Bucharest yesterday. It will undertake regional reconnaissance missions to monitor Russian military activity within the military alliance's territory. The planes belong to a fleet of 14 usually based in West Germany and can detect aircraft hundreds of miles away. The missions are expected to last several weeks. These are very important air capabilities and I would say they are supplemental NATO capabilities for the already present ground and air forces in Romania. My team is well prepared and we will soon conduct missions from Bucharest for a limited period of time. This makes an important contribution to NATO's enhanced vigilance activities at the eastern flank of the alliance. In addition, the AWACS have conducted regular patrols over Eastern Europe and the Baltic Sea region to track Russian warplanes near NATO borders. And meanwhile, a former commander of Russia's Wagner mercenary group says he has fled to Norway. He says he fears for his life after witnessing the killing and mistreatment of Russian prisoners brought to the front line. On July 6, 2022, I signed a contract with this company, Wagner PMC, and departed for Ukraine. I know for sure about three cases where prisoners who tried to run away from hospitals after being wounded were shot dead. Also, 10 people were shot on the training ground in front of prisoners who just arrived. It was done as a deterrent. They are traitors. They refuse to fight. Look what happens to them. Medvedev says he was an orphan and served time in prison before joining the Wagner Group. To cross the border, he climbed through barbed wire fences and evaded a border patrol with dogs. He says guards fired shots as he ran through a forest and over thin and breaking ice into Norway. Next, the U.S. is expected to reach its debt limit on Thursday and everyone is closely watching Congress to see what will happen next. We spoke to an expert and that's after the break. Welcome back, and we're continuing the program with business news. Microsoft yesterday announced that it will be cutting thousands of jobs. Some roles to be eliminated are reportedly in its human resources and engineering divisions. The company is said to be laying off around 5% of its workforce, totaling more than 10,000 jobs, starting from as early as this week. The expected layoffs could indicate that the tech sector may continue to cut jobs across the board. Companies including Amazon and Meta have also announced they will be reducing costs amidst slowing demand and a worsening global economic outlook. Microsoft has not provided further comments. And over at Goldman Sachs, the investment giant reported a much bigger than expected drop in fourth quarter profits yesterday. The 69% drop followed a slump in deal-making and weakness in the Wall Street firm's wealth management business. 
Goldman's quarterly profit was $1.19 billion, far short of analysts' estimates of nearly $5.5 billion, according to Refinitiv IBES data. And the storied investment bank is now rethinking its gamble on a consumer banking business. This was a relatively new business that was launched about three or four years ago, and they are now scaling it back to be more narrowly focused. Consumer banking in the United States is extremely competitive, and the players, such as a J.P. Morgan Chase, a Bank America, they are very good at consumer banking. So for a new entrant to need economies of scale, and that was the biggest headwind, I believe, that Goldman has confronted, is that they cannot compete effectively against these very large players who are very, very good. Wall Street banks are making deep cuts in their workforce and streamlining their operations. As deal-making activity, their major source of revenue, stalls on worries over a weakening global economy and rising interest rates. Goldman's investment banking fees fell 48% in the latest quarter, while revenue from its asset and wealth management unit dropped 27% due to lower revenue from equity and debt investments. Last week, a source told Reuters the bank would lay off 3,000 employees in an attempt to rein in costs. Well, certainly a lot going on in the business world. And at the same time, Janet Yellen warns that the U.S. will be hitting the debt ceiling tomorrow. So what will happen? I spoke to an expert at Burge Gold Group. Joining me now is Philip Patrick. He's a precious metal specialist with our sponsor, Burge Gold Group. Good morning, Philip. Good morning. So now let's talk about the debt ceiling. Janet Yellen is warning we will hit that on Thursday. And for now, the Treasury will take extraordinary measures. Now, what does that mean exactly? And how do you see this playing out this time? I, I think it's going to be fairly messy this time around. Look, in, in the past, Congress has avoided breaching the debt ceiling by simply raising it. Um, but House Republicans this time around, I think, are making it clear that they're not going to tolerate business as usual, not without some sort of spending cuts or, or other concessions. Now, Yellen had said things could run out as soon as Thursday this week. But we have to remember that the Treasury Department has a few tricks up its sleeve. They can use accounting tricks essentially to keep paying the bills for at least a few weeks, uh, at most a few months. And it could last until the end of May. Now, the problem that we're seeing is that the Biden administration now making it very clear that they're not interested in negotiating. They've said it straight out. They said, look, we'll only consider this if there's no negotiation. Now, the last time there was a real battle over the debt ceiling was back in 2011, and it was very tough. Global markets were rattled. Uh, the stock market domestically tanked 7%, and of course, retirement savings got hit. Importantly, the U.S. was downgraded for its, its rating for the first time, its credit rating for the first time in history back then. Now, we got over it, but it took months and months and months, and this one could be a little bit worse than that. Bear in mind, we've imagined $10 trillion of debt since then, and we've got both sides of the bench that really seem very unwilling to compromise. So it could really be a showdown. Interesting. Now, zoom, let's zoom out a little bit. Why is a debt ceiling struggle here in the U.S. a big deal globally? Look, it, the U.S. dollar is 
global reserve currency, right? And the, the relative safety of U.S. treasuries coupled with their liquidity has made them just a cornerstone of global financial markets, right? Institutional investors worldwide rely on treasuries for their high credit rating, and, and they've been used as collateral for central banks simply because world central banks own so many treasuries. So any sort of default would destroy liquidity in the bond market, and we'd see a massive dislocation in price. Look, as we've seen from recent turmoil in the United Kingdom, you know, financial markets can be extremely sensitive to fiscal policy missteps and political uncertainty, and particularly when the situation economically is already so fragile. So any sort of serious threat even of default could really rattle the markets more so than we're seeing at the moment. Right. So in the current economical situation, then, how do you think American families should protect themselves financially? Look, I think the most important thing is, is to, to be informed, right? And that's why shows like this are so important. They keep people informed. Uh, at Birch Gold Group, we offer a lot of information to our listeners and for, you know, for, for your listeners to, to access that is very simple. They text NTD to 989898. Again, NTD to 989898. What that will do is give them access to a guide on how to invest in precious metals. And for climates like this, gold and silver are very conducive. Economic uncertainty drives them up. Corrections in stocks, as we've been seeing, drives them up. Inflation drives them up. And the key for me is once you understand the problems, the solutions start to present themselves. And I think heading into this year, precious metals are more important than they've been, certainly in my lifetime. I see. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time as always. Philip Patrick with Birch Gold Group. Thank you. Coming up, a Qantas flight has landed safely after issuing a distress call. The plane was on its way from Auckland to Sydney. Emergency crews were on standby. And works by Italian master painter Vittorio Carpaccio are on display in Washington, D.C. It's the painting's first time outside of their original Venetian gallery. We'll have that story after the break. Good to have you back. In California, more than 500 storm-related mudslides were reported over the past few weeks. On Tuesday, a passenger train traveling in the San Francisco Bay Area was halted by a mudslide. The local fire department says the train was traveling near Niles Canyon when a 100-foot mudslide on the tracks blocked its progress. But the train was not derailed. Luckily, roughly 220 passengers on board were safely evacuated onto a rescue train with no reports of injuries. And a Qantas flight from Auckland to Sydney landed safely after experiencing engine problems over the Tasman Sea. An airport spokesperson said a Mayday alert was issued about an hour before approaching Sydney Airport. This was later downgraded to a possible assistance needed alert. Emergency vehicles were on standby as the plane touched down on the runway at 3.30 p.m. local time, according to Qantas. All 145 passengers disembarked the plane normally. No one was injured and engineers are now assessing the aircraft. Famous works by the Italian master painter Vittore Carpaccio are on display in the U.S. for the first time. The deep red colors of his paintings inspired a menu item, too. And today's Andrew Thomas has the details on the exhibition. 
Vittore Carpaccio is considered to be one of the best of the Venetian Renaissance painters, but many haven't heard of him. Right now, in this moment, we are in Venice, in the Dalmatian School of St. George in Trifon. It is an ancient institution that is almost 600 years old, and the works are part of our treasure, our capital. They were done in 1502, painted for our school by Vittore Carpaccio. The National Gallery of Washington, D.C. is hosting a major exhibition of the artist's work, the first outside Italy. Vittore Carpaccio, master storyteller of Renaissance Venice, will run until February 12th. The works were restored before being sent to Washington. American nonprofit Save Venice provided $400,000 for the restoration. The organization's regional director says there is great excitement about the painting's first international showing. The idea for the exhibition um, started in about the 2018. Uh, unfortunately, it was supposed to be in October of 2020, but because of COVID, everything was postponed. And it just opened, the show opened in November uh, in Washington on November 20th. Probably more people have seen Carpaccio on a menu than in a museum. Carpaccio is a thinly sliced raw beef, often served as an appetizer. A Venetian restaurateur invented the dish in the 1950s. He chose the name Carpaccio after the intense red color used by the painter. The exhibit will move from Washington to Venice this spring and will open at the Palazzo di Cale on March 18th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. As always, you're encouraged to share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.